tidings, ladies and gentlemen. Good tidings. Welcome, welcome to the Good Tidings Radio broadcast here on WXAN Radio. I am your radio pastor, Brother David Pinkerton, and I am glad you're tuned in this morning. Here we are, what, already in the late stages, the 18th of February. It's Saturday, the 18th of February, and we're excited to be back behind the microphone again this week. We're grateful that you're tuned in. And you're praying for us. We're praying for you. And thanks for sharing, you know, the information about the broadcast. I've had a little bit of feedback, and that's always encouraging. Thank you to you that are listening. Some of you just shared some of the sweetest compliments a few weeks ago at the J City Church. And to that, I'm very, very grateful. Thank you for listening. That encourages us. You know, the Hebrew says, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that's Hebrews chapter number 10. So we're grateful that you're tuned in to WXAN Radio. If you're listening live over the Internet, you're listening on WXANradio.com. And when the page pulls up, you're listening on listen, clicking on rather listen live. Or if you're listening locally, you're on the FM side at 103.9. So this is the Good Tidings Radio broadcast. We're glad you're here. Hey, I'm excited today about... Uh, a message God's put on my heart, and I want you to grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter number 8, the New Testament book of Acts chapter number 8, Acts chapter number 8, and I want to draw your attention this morning to verse number 1, Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 1. So the Bible says, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many were taken with palsies, and many were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, folks, as you'll know, some really wonderful news has been going across social media. It's been uh, working its way across the United States. And that's the good and exciting news about the Asbury Revival that's going on as we speak at Asbury College in Kentucky. And it's exciting to see what's going on on Facebook posts, on YouTube posts of a revival of God, a revival of the Holy Spirit, a revival of God's people taking place in this day and time. And today, with that said, as we look to what's going on at the Asbury College as a great encouragement, in Acts chapter number 8, verses 1 through 8, 
we see a great revival taking place in this city. And God is using Philip. And this morning, I want to talk with the time remaining about revival. Biblical revival, which is very simply for the believer, a confession of known sin and getting the cleansing, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A forsaking of that sin, uh, turning away from it. That's where revival's beginning, the confession of the sin, the forsaking of the sin, and then a renewed obedience to the Word of God. That what God said to do, I'm going to do as a, His child, as a blood-washed believer. Revival is just letting, getting back to obedience to God, putting Jesus Christ first in our life. Folks, revival is possible in 2023. We're seeing it here almost in a local region now, this Asbury College. But it's always been available to the Christian. It's desperately what our country needs. It's desperately what Brother David needs. It's desperately what you need and what every child of God needs. We need revival. We need it in our country. And we know in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that God promised, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Revival is what we need in America, in the state of Illinois, in, the, in, in Harrisburg, in Marion, in Carbondale, in Murfreesboro, all over the region of southern Illinois, throughout southeastern Missouri as well. Every country, every locale needs revival. Every pastor, every evangelist, every church of the Lord Jesus needs revival. Do you want revival? Do you care if you're revived or not? Folks, the sweetest position to be in as a believer is with Jesus first in our life. Being in a revived sense, a renewed obedience to God. What God's Word says, I'm going to do, and I'm going to forsake sin. And I'm going to live as godly and as holy as in this present world, looking for the blessed coming and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you want revival? I do. We saw some revival at the J City Church, where I'd been for several months. God blessed greatly. He did it all. The people were receptive. The people gave ear and heed to what God wanted. Now today, let's take a look at Acts chapter number 8, verses 1 through 8. And let's, let's look at revival and how we can have it. And let's break down these verses today and see what God can show us about countrywide revival personal revival, citywide revival, national revival, state revival, regional revival, revival in your life, in your marriage, in everything. It all begins with putting Jesus Christ first in our life, making him the Lord of our life and being revived, obedient to the Bible. Now, in Acts chapter number eight, we saw that Saul had consented to the death of Stephen. Stephen. 
And then after Saul had made a havoc of the church in verse number three, he entered into every house and he hailed men and women and threw them in prison for nothing other than worshiping and serving and loving Jesus Christ. And then verse number four says, then they, they that were scattered abroad, he persecuted the church and the early church and they were scattered abroad. They went everywhere. Get this now. When, once the persecution came, they went everywhere preaching the word. And God knows, does he have to allow persecution to take place in this country? And I'm going to say this. Yes, he does allow that in order to get his people to do what we need to do and obey him. And I'm going to tell you, I think some of the persecution has come from the White House and the administrator, Joe Biden, and his very nefarious, sinful administration that is anti-God, anti-Scripture, anti-Constitution, anti-Bible. Yes, I believe that this man is judgment upon America. And because of the election fraud that took place over the presidential election of 2020, that it has caused revival to start breaking out in the country because we know as God's people that God must intervene in the affairs of man. Why he allowed this to take place, we don't know. But it is is to promote revival. If so, then so be it. But we need to put Christ back first because our nation, our lives, our marriages, our churches, our country, our communities need revival. So, In Acts chapter number 8, the church is preaching the Word of God. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. In verse 5 of Acts chapter 8, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, all right, when we talk about revival, here we go. We need it. Do you want it? You can have it. That's the good news. We can have revival if we want it. Let's break down these verses, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, as we consider collective, corporate, and personal revival. All right. There are three things I want us to see from these verses. Jot these down. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, tap these down on a note. Make some notes here. The first thing we need to see is this, if we want that revival. Notice the man. The man. And the man that God is using for revival is Philip. In verse number five, the Bible says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, this tells us, folks, in chapter six of the book of Acts, Philip was one of the original seven deacons, if you'll recollect. By chapter number eight here, he's an effective evangelist. He's not the Apostle Philip. He's an evangelist, Philip. So the lesson for us real quick this morning from God's Word is revival can start with just one person. That's one person that's willing to pay the price, who has an insatiable personal hunger for a closeness and an obedience and a renewed sense and presence and fellowship with God, that they want to do something awesome for God. Do you want to do something with your life for Jesus Christ? Are you hungry? As the Bible says in the book of Psalm, as the heart or the deer panteth after the water brook, even so my soul panteth after thee. Is our soul panting for a closer walk with Jesus Christ, for that even more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you hungry for your renewed, revived relationship with Jesus 
Are you in the whole hum and the doldrums? One person can realize that it just takes a spark. One spark can start a roaring blaze. You can be the igniter of revival in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your church, in your community. In the 1800s, a man named Gypsy Smith was a great revivalist. When asked how he had, uh, how to have revival, he said this, and I quote, Go home, lock yourself in your room, draw a circle around yourself with chalk, and ask God to start a great revival within that circle. And when God has answered your prayer, the revival will be underway. End of quote. Folks, that revival fire, it spreads like a fire does. It energizes like a fire does. It purifies. Revival fire will purify our lives. It'll purify our thought processes. It'll purify our ministries. It'll purify our church. There was a Welsh revival that there's talk that there was great historical talk about. But today this Asbury College revival is the most pertinent that's on our radar as we speak today. Folks, could the Asbury revival affect you and I? Yes, why could we not have revival in southern Illinois, in Murfreesboro, in Ava, in Harrisburg, in Mount Vernon, in Centralia, in Nashville, in St. Louis? Why couldn't that be the case? It can be. It can be. Folks, one person can start a revival. You can start a revival with our heart confessed of sin, forsaking sin, a craving to get right with God and to walk in His ways and to deem important what God deems important. It can happen. That revival can happen. D.L. Moody knew what it was like to have the power of God in him so strong, and he wondered why in a revival, why that was taking place. He saw 400 people get saved in a revival that he preached, and he knew, <clears throat> excuse me, that that kind of revival only happens as a response to prayer. So he investigated why this was going on in a revival that he was at. And he found out that behind the scenes, there was something going on. An elderly lady had went that morning to the revival, then she went home to her invalid sister and told her sister about D.L. Moody being at the, at the service. And this invalid lady's eyes lit up because she had been praying that God would send Moody to England. And she told her sister, let's put lunch away. Let's spend the rest of the afternoon in prayer and fasting. And they did. And they began to pray. Two elderly women, one of them bedridden. Folks, they knew nothing about an organization or an activity. They knew that they needed the power of God in their lives and on that place where Moody was preaching. And they said, let's put away lunch. Let's put away everything. Let's pay the price in prayer to see revival. Do you want revival so bad that you'll pray it and mean it from your heart? God, give me revival. I need revival. He'll do it. Prayer is the key. And folks, not only can revival begin with just one person, it also can be held back by one person. F.B. Meyer talks about an unsuccessful revival meeting that drug on night after night with no results. A deacon came forward to say he knew why, and he had a grudge against another deacon, and they hadn't spoken in months, and there was bad blood there. I'm telling you, that happens in churches. People are 
irritated with each other. They don't try to get it right. It holds back the blessing and the power of God and the freedom of the Spirit to work. Meyer got together with the two men. They they got it right. They buried the hatchet, if you will. They confessed their sins. They made it public. They got they'd gotten right with each other. And the next service revival broke out right there. Preacher, you need to get right with somebody in your church. Some of you folks need to get right with your preacher. You need to get right with one another to see God bless and send revival. Don't be the one who holds back revival. Be the one that helps facilitate revival in your church. So revival broke out here in Samaria in the book of Acts, chapter number 8, when one man, Philip, decided he wanted to be used of God. Do you want to be used of God? Quickly, I must hurry. Not only the ingredients for this revival, be it personal or collective or corporate or country or community, not only was it one man, that man was Philip, but the second thing is, notice, the message. The message. Now, in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, the latter half of verse 5, notice the message. It says this, and preached Christ unto them. Christ unto them. Folks, <laughs> preaching social reform will not bring revival. Preaching a social gospel will not bring revival. Preaching a good, feel-good Father's Day sermon will not bring revival. Preaching an educational sermon, they're nice, they're helpful personally, but you know what? It doesn't change hearts. It doesn't matter what effect you can have on the mind. You have to very simply preach the message that we've been called to preach as God called preachers, but as actually as Christians as well, commissioned to preach, and that is the virgin birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the blood shed, the resurrection, or rather the burial and the resurrection from the grave of none other than Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we've been called to preach and proclaim. We need to preach Jesus to the world. If you're not saved, nothing else matters in your life, my friend. If you die without Jesus, you will go to a place called hell to burn forever. But you can be forgiven if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Christ died for the sins of every man, woman, boy, or girl that's lived, living, or will live. He died for the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. And we cannot save ourselves. We owe a penalty. That penalty is a wage that we earn. It's called death, and it's in Revelation. It's the second death in the lake of fire. So if we get what we deserve, we die physically, we go spiritually die to die in the lake of fire. But God didn't want that, and he so loved us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, and he did. He shed his blood in our place. He took our place as a substitute. The church was not your substitute. The pope was not your substitute. The preacher is not your substitute. Your mom or dad is not your substitute. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. He died for yours and mine. When he gave up the ghost, they put him in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day he resurrected to prove that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus. You can be saved, forgiven, if you will ask Christ by faith to be your Savior. Would you like to do that right now?
from the sincerity of your heart, would you bow your head and close your eyes and follow me in this simple prayer? There's nothing magical about a prayer. Prayer is just a vehicle that God uses to take your faith and place it in the object of your faith, and that is Jesus and Him alone. Not Jesus plus church, Jesus plus church membership, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus anything. Jesus Christ alone. If you'd like to trust Him as your Savior, follow me in this prayer from the sincerity of your heart. Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I'm trusting you and you alone to be my personal Savior and take me to heaven. Now, folks, if you've done that, I want you to write me, send me an email, drdave13 at gmail.com, drdave13 at gmail.com, d-r-d-a-v-e-1-3 at gmail.com. I've got some information I'd like to give you free and help you in steps in a new direction. Good, good material to help you grow as a Christian now. But notice the message it wasn't a feel-good message about how great you are. It wasn't a feel-good message about how God wants to bless and promote and prosper your life. He does those things. But the message that Philip preached at Samaria was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died vicariously on the cross, who shed his blood in your place, who was buried and resurrected. And you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. That's what he preached, Jesus Christ. And telling the world to come to him and trust him by faith as Savior. And the only preaching that saves souls and changes lives and brings repentance and brings revival isn't brought about by a pastor who's looking to, to make funny jokes. It's brought about by the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God and a person and a man of God presenting the Word of God and not a mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, panty-waist dribble that no one ever understands that gently brush strokes the itching ears of common people in this day and time, but it's the kind of message that says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Christ died for your sins, and you must be born again in order to be saved. That's the message. Jesus, that's what brings revival. No wonder revival is nowhere in sight. Let us determine, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, like Daniel Webster once said, he was a great politician, an orator, a scholar. He lived in Washington, D.C. He attended a small country church faithfully. And one day his niece came to him and said, Uncle Daniel, why do you go to that little church? There's many large fashionable churches in the city where you can hear much better deliveries. Daniel Webster replied, and I quote, young lady, in the fancy churches, they preach to Daniel Webster, the statesman. But in my church, they preach to Daniel Webster, the sinner, and they tell me about Jesus Christ. End of quote. Amen. Thank God Daniel Webster knew the difference between oratory and Bible preaching. Folks, we need a message. Listen to this closely while I have time. Time's escaping me quickly. I must go quick. Let me tell you something. We need a message of repentance and faith in Jesus. Revival will, in faith in Jesus will deliver the save the sinner. It'll deliver the addicted person. It will, it will deliver <coughs> demonically possessed people. It will. Jesus Christ preached sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection that he lives forever with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He conquered. He can deliver you. He can save you. He can restore you. He can revive you. We need preaching that produces results, and that's only Holy Spirit-given, God-influenced, godly, Bible-directed Bible 
preaching. That's what brings revival. So the message is Jesus Christ. The the messenger was Philip. Now quickly, notice thirdly the miracles in this revival. In verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, And people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them, and many uh, were taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now the word miracles, folks, could be translated signs. And God allowed Philip to work these miracles as a true sign to authenticate that what he was saying to the people, because the New Testament had not been completed yet and given, God was putting his stamp of approval to authenticate what Philip was preaching to the people as God's message, and he proved it through signs and wonders. Here's the point. God will do, and he still can do the miracles today. He can move with great power. What is the miracle you need in your life? Come to Christ. Put him first. Have revival. You can see demons cast out. You can see people healed. You can see backsliders restored. You can see sinners saved. You can see your church grow. You can see your community revived. You can. They're doing it at Asbury College in Kentucky right now. Do you want that revival? I pray that we do. I do. And I believe that you do too. Let's pray that God would bless WXAN Radio. God would send revival through these airways to our hearts and that revival could take place as it is in Asbury College. May it happen in our hearts, in our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in southern Illinois. Father, help us this day. Send revival. Thank you for this time around your word and the lesson through Philip in Acts chapter number 8, verses 1 through 8. Look, folks, thanks for listening to the Good Tidings Radio broadcast. I am your radio pastor, Dr. David Pinkerton. Glad you've tuned in. Listen to us again next Saturday, Lord willing, at 11 a.m. God bless you.